All right. And here we are. Welcome to the Going Places podcast. Camden Clark here. Daniel Price. And uh, great to be back on the Going Places podcast. Uh, we have this is a very special episode for us. We have uh, we have a special guest on today. Somebody whose work has meant a lot to me, and um, just someone who's doing a lot of great work in life right now. He uh, is a pastor, speaker, and author. He is the co-host of the Talk About That podcast with Johnny W. And he has co-authored and authored uh, many books. His new one, which he co-wrote with Reggie Dabbs, is called Not So Black and White. Honest Conversations, talking about just racism, different things in the church. And we're glad to have him on, John Driver. Glad to see you today. Hey, guys. How you doing today? Doing well. Thanks awesome. for being with us. Yeah. yeah, excited. Excited to be with you. Appreciate that. So, um, if you could, if you would like to just elaborate a little bit, you know, what you're doing and just kind of what you... Um, just in the past, you know, you're doing a lot, whether it be in the Christian faith as a pastor or the off, or as, you know, you've been a writer for years now. Um, can you just elaborate on that a little bit for us? Yeah, so I, I live near Nashville, uh, and I have been, uh, I was actually a, a public school history teacher, um, which is what I studied at University of Tennessee in Knoxville and, and was in ministry. Uh, volunteering but then took my first youth pastor job at at about uh, age 21 and I've been doing some sort of full-time ministry for the most part ever since I uh, moved here back to Nashville in 04 where I was originally from and um, did youth ministry for 15 years then I did young adults I've done worship a lot the whole time and I'm the teaching and executive pastor now uh, at the same church I've been at for 18 years and uh, it's uh, been a long journey so I started writing around 2000 as well um and wrote about seven books before i mean just you know unpublished stacks of rejection letters and uh that's when uh god kind of led me to to a place i didn't know existed called collaboration really uh, i didn't know it was like a career path or a thing that people really did and so if you see a book that has someone's name that you've heard of in big letters and right beneath it it has someone's name with a with in front of it that you've never heard of in small letters. I am the with guy that you've never heard of. And uh, <laughs> it is, it has been a great journey. Um, I've done, man, just working with a lot of authors and different people. And I write my own things as well. And, and sometimes I'm the co-author, which is like an and instead of a with, in my, which means my voice is in there. But um, it's just been for someone who loves to write. Uh, it was a gift. I didn't know that, that I was asking for because authors can only, usually write and publish, you know, maybe one book every two years. Um, I can write three to four books in one year because uh, it, it's not usually based upon my voice. And so in, in terms of the craft of writing, I just get to write like crazy. Um, and, and that's just been a, a, that's something I enjoy doing. And then obviously I get to learn so much and, and hopefully I have so far to go, but hopefully get to improve a little bit with each uh, opportunity to meet someone and, and help steward their story and, and, their message. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, you know, I've done some, you know, I'm kind of storing out some amateur writing as well, just as a hobby, but I do plan to do something with it one day, but it's kind of like something that's always stuck out to me about this. It's just what a unique way it is to kind of tell a story, like maybe almost like music in a way, because if I can't verbally tell you something, there's a lot of people that could write it down. Yeah. And I just, I just find that it's, it's just beautiful, but yeah, I'm really into literature and That's all that great. stuff but yeah, yeah so you talk about the uh books that you've uh written you wrote uh 2019 you had uh the ultimate guide for avid endorsement which was wonderful that was more oh, of a thank you. satire mm-hmm. on that as well this year yeah yeah uh so 2000 you know the the event the the uh, ultimate guy for the avid endorsement was um, a really interesting project, how that came because most projects I work on, we write a proposal with my literary agent and it gets pitched and things like that. Um, that one, there was a publisher that had this idea and uh, they put out for writers it, through different, it came through my agent, but through different writers around the country to basically submit samples 
And so I wrote up some stuff on it and, um, and I, I kind of do some goofy things. You guys mentioned my co-host of our podcast is Johnny W and he's, you know, oh, in yeah. my opinion, in my opinion, the best clean comic in the country. Um, yeah. just super yeah. brilliant, you know, travels full time for years and years now. And, and, uh, but he's also been my best friend for 25 years and, wow. um, yeah, it's been a long time. We were, you know, back when I was in college, we were in a band together and, uh, it's just been fun. He was always a youth leader in all of the youth groups that I was youth pastoring in. And then he was our college pastor for a while. Um, so we've just, we've worked on staff together and, and um, do creative videos and funny things together, but he's, he's the comedian. We laugh. We call me a humorist, which no one really knows what that means. Uh, you can be a humorist is like, you know, it's like dad jokey funny, you know, and, and nobody really, you know, ha laughs necessarily as much. Uh, so we have a good time with that whole concept, but writing, sort of satire you know and and ridiculous satire like i wrote tim hawkins book back in uh, yeah. 2013 jack wagon you know yeah i mean he wrote the book i was his his collaborator and uh you know that that whole process oh thank you it just exposed me to just so much fun just what if i just wrote the most ridiculous thing possible for the next five pages like just stupid stupid stuff and and then, you know, you get paid for it. So that's a good day <laughs> if you can do that. That is a very good day. Yeah. <laughs> and so the Avid Endorsement, they, they gave me that book. Uh, they liked the ideas and what I'd written and then signed me actually as an author to it. And um, it's, uh, it is just 200 pages of stupidity. And the, the backstory on that that people may not realize is that uh, my father was suffering from congestive heart failure. And uh, he passed away in 2017. And that was right around the time I was getting that sort of, you know, contract together. And dad loved the Tim Hawkins book. Like he loved everything I wrote, but he was, he was one of those dads and, and what a blessing it was, but it was also kind of embarrassing that you know, he would stand up at a family function or a restaurant with strangers. Like he didn't really care. And he would just, Hey everybody, my son wrote this book and he'd start reading from it and stuff. Cause he just <laughs> laughed, you know, awesome. hysterically. And so, you know, you'd, you'd turn red and get embarrassed. Of course, I'd give anything for my dad to embarrass me again, you know, today yeah. with that kind of thing. But he loved the funny stuff. And uh, so I really felt like that that book was just sort of a gift from God, because while I was grieving, um, I was writing all this just ridiculous stuff. And I dedicated that book to him and um, just knew he would have enjoyed it. So he was sort of a therapeutic process of writing in the middle of, of you know, some difficult times. And, uh, so I, I remain very grateful for that book. And, and oddly enough, it, it won three awards. Um, <laughs> I like to say that that book is uh, critically acclaimed and dismally sold. Uh, <laughs> yes. you know, it's, it's, but it, it won the best book award in humor for American book fest and, and took silver in humor for, uh, the Ippies, which is independent publishers awards. And then silver also for the reader's favorite awards. And so, yeah, I mean, it's still out there and, and, um, they just had it for 99 cents, oddly enough, over Christmas on christianbook.com. And so it's it's uh, just a fun little project for your bathroom floor. You know, it's, that's that's what it's for. So fully illustrated and it's totally stupid. There's nothing in there, but uh, just just fun stuff. Yeah, that's uh, amazing. And that kind of leads into my next question. You know, you talk about, you know, and I'm sure that, you know, anytime you get to after a hard time in your life that you get to uh, – that you get to, I guess, just kind of enjoy, just kind of some ridiculous fun for a moment. That's always can be very healing. But, you know, even with me and Daniel, like me and Daniel are kind of like the equivalent of like you and Johnny, who's amazing, <laughs> yeah. by the way. I've been a fan of Johnny for probably going on four years now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, where would you say, because even on our podcast, we would try to balance, where do you have the balance of the serious moments because we you know we do talk about some deep issues on here but also when we just kind of have our funny moments where do you kind of balance that because i i kind of say that they can go hand in hand at times mm -hmm. and that's yeah. how i kind of try to walk it but where would you say that, that yeah kinda... i don't know where the lines are uh you know johnny will laugh off the air sometimes like wow that was a that was a hard turn you know into that because i mean he johnny may be the funniest guy that i've ever met but he also is the smartest uh and the guy now my wife is the smartest person but johnny is the smartest guy and um he's he's you know i think anyone anyone who's a comedian if you hang out with them a long time i mean they generally have some pretty 
some pretty dark spaces <laughs> because in order to sort of um, look and tear apart society a little bit, you know, sort of take it down and find what's funny about it, then, then you're really absorbing a lot of the difficulty uh, and, and the things that we're watching and, and, the, and the world we live in today. It's got super dark places to look at. So for us, you know, the funny thing about that podcast is it started, I mean, we talked about it for years because people would go to lunch with us and the exact thing we do in the podcast, we do at lunch. Like we'll do it today. We're going to shoot later today, but we'll go to lunch first. And it just seems natural for us that we'll hang out and share life and catch up and laugh. And, but by the end of it, we're talking about our purpose as you know, the, the difficulty of, of what it means to be a, you know, a, a man who's pursuing God, or we'll talk about our pets and we'll talk about our, uh, my kids, Johnny's going to have kids. We'll talk about careers and, and, you know, sort of wrestle with what all that means in the faith uh, or wrestle with what it means where the, where people of faith are missing it. And so, you know, at some point in time, someone was hanging out with us and they'd gone to lunch a bunch of times. It was our, our friend Dane, who was our initial producer who Dane, by the way, a little trivia, Dane is this amazing artist, songwriter, and he's on staff at our church. But uh, in the early episodes, you'll hear him. He used to be on them. Uh, and then it's just, you know, life situation. He's out traveling a lot of things. Yeah. But uh, Dane wrote the talk about that podcast theme song music and recorded it. And so wow. uh, and it's that's yeah, all original I, every time because I'm I still usually produce and post these uh, after he sort of passed it off to me. And every time I hear the music on our podcast, I'm like, that is so good. Like it, it still gets me 200 episodes almost. And it's like, man, just love it. And so he just, you know, that's how talented he is. But Dane was the one who said, you know, you guys, man, we should record this, you know, just sitting at lunch. And so one day we started doing that. And um, we, we generally talk a little bit off the air about, you know, hey, what do you want to cover? Do you have a funny story? You know, Johnny's on the road a lot. What happened? Uh, but generally we just do what we do at lunch and we just kind of share life and, uh, and how to balance. I don't know the funny parts. I mean, the good thing about having a comedian with you is, uh, he'll make anything I say funny. Like he'll make a joke about any sort of comment and it's sort of, we play off of each other in that respect. Like yeah. I can, in fact, I can be cheesy dad jokey and Johnny will make fun of it. So then it, even though what I said was not really that funny, because Johnny made fun of me, it's funny. So, you know, as long as we all know our roles, it's like a, you know, yeah. uh, watching two friends sort of, you know, pick on each other in fun a little bit. But Johnny's also the first one. He's just not, Johnny's not really a bully in that respect. I mean, he'll, he's the guy, you know, hey, love you, bro. Like, you know, there's not a time we go off the phone that Johnny's going to say, love you, bro, you know, and, and that's kind of how our relationship has always yeah. been. So there's a, there's a, a sort of a godly, um, brotherly affection there that, you know, allows us to sort of pick on each other and have fun without it going to a place of pain or hurt. And if he ever thought he hurt, he always calls like, Oh man, I hope that didn't bother you. And so there's a sensitivity to it. So I think if you're going to be, you know, I don't know how to be funny. I'm not, I'm not the funniest guy. I know this trying to be funny is a, is a scary thing to do. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can get into trouble really, really quick. Uh, and so, you know, relationships seem to produce some of that funny stuff. And so the longer you're just with people and you know, sort of the rhythms um, of conversation or the rhythms of, you know, I, it's funny. I, I, we've been friends so long that I have rhythms of the way I speak that are based upon things Johnny said to me 25 years ago, These little, little jokes, little things that I just use all the time uh, because he's affected me that much just as a friend. I'm not trying to necessarily go be funny, but I know funny things about normal conversation because my buddy has always been so funny. And so um, you know, it's just, it's just relationship, man. I, I think most good things in life come out of like real actual relationships, uh, with other people and the more that we lean into them. So there's no way I could be doing what I'm doing on the podcast, um, without Johnny, you know, in that relationship. Cause he always gets on, he goes, well, dude, do, do we really have, you know, we've done this 200 times. Do we really have more stuff to talk about? And it's funny every time we do. And generally every time we have to, at some point, call it off because we would just keep going so that that's a that's a real blessing to have that kind of friend that we can just keep talking in perpetuity that is i mean i mean i've listened probably pretty much since the very beginning i've listened to every episode but uh oh, thanks man of course uh thank you but you both of you had just have a wonderful chemistry i mean mm -hmm. honestly like just the way you feed off each other was great but and like i said you know there's a lot of similarities between y'all and me and daniel you know we would meet 
at uh, we have a local coffee shop downtown Blacksburg, and that's actually one of our sponsors. But we would meet down there, you know, once or twice a week, and we would just have these really just deep conversations. But we would also just laugh and just be silly a lot of times. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's awesome. And we would have people that would you know come hang out with us and talk to us and just. Yeah. Uh, they would always say, you know, this should be a show or something. And, but it was mainly me and him that we had to say to each other many times, you know, we, we, we got to start recording this. I mean, this is just wonderful. Yeah. So we started doing that, uh, April of last year and, uh, we've been great. doing pretty well for walking our way up, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what honestly, it's all about. Honestly, I'm astonished at the similarities we have. And it's just, it's, it's such a blessing to have that kind of that you can just kind of, in my opinion, that I can call it any time and just kind of talking. There's bound to be a really deep conversation going to happen and yeah. some of the most funny moments that I've ever experienced. Just to have that is um, such a blessing in my life, honestly. Oh, that's but, great. Uh, that's exciting. And, and you guys are finding it young, and uh, that's wise. It's wise to have the right kinds of friends. And, you know, the world is so skeptical and... um Everybody seems to to just walk in cynicism and, you know, um, you know, I have a, a 13 year old daughter and of course did youth ministry for years. And, and it's just like, it seems like the longer the world goes on and I'm not, I'm not an old guy shaking my fist at the heavens. Like I think it's kind of always been this way for teenagers, in, you know, in the last, you know, 50 years, especially, but it's kind of like not cool to sort of embrace and call out the blessings of your relationships, <laughs> Uh, because it's so vulnerable to do that. Uh, and, and so it's a, it's like a, you know, I encourage teenagers when I can, because I, I wish I would have done this more, you know, to like talk about how much your friends mean to you, to others and, and to one another, more importantly, um, like that, that's actually a healthy thing to do. And, and yes, friendships will change and people hurt feelings that, and you don't have, if you've never hurt each other's feelings, then your relationship has yeah. beautiful, wonderful things coming, you know, like that's what real life is. Um, how you lean into that conflict and, and work it out. But, um, it's great to hear you guys acknowledge at your age, uh, the things that even a lot of adults struggle to knowledge. I mean, I, I struggle to acknowledge. I, I told the church Sunday when I was preaching, <laughs> I was like, guys, over the years, I've had a lot of people in my life, especially dudes, who I know would have died for me, absolutely would have died for me uh, if a bus was coming at me or whatever. But the only problem was is I couldn't get them to live with me. Like living with me is harder. And in so we're kind of this all or nothing culture where we're looking for those kinds of friends that would die for you. And I'm really looking for friends who would live with me because yeah. it's, it's course, just yeah. the, the day to day is such a different process and so much more important to who we become. Yeah, yeah. and I know uh, you said to encourage youth to talk about things, and um, I guess it's kind of one of one of our missions is to, you know, spread that people should talk about things and kind of get their opinions out because you can't just sit up in your room all day with all these thoughts in your head. I mean, you got to express them somehow, and that's kind of what we're doing, and we want to kind of encourage everybody to do what we're doing, I guess, you know. Well, and specifically what you're doing that's different than the way most people, not just your age, my age as well, are expressing themselves is is you're not just writing it out into the great wild internet yonder. Like everybody's sort of just flooding social media. And I'm not anti-social media, but we do. Social media and I have a very interesting, intense relationship. (laughs) And the reason is, is I, I don't think you can have a real conversation there. I think you can express a real message or a real opinion, but you can't have a real conversation there. Uh, and, and so at some point you just kind of stop caring about the people that disagree or you write them off. Uh, and, and so a lot of people, like you said, Daniel, they're expressing themselves, but they're expressing it in places where it's not being safe in relationship. They're expressing it to unsafe spaces and they just assume it's unsafe because people disagree with them. Well, actually, people disagreeing with them might be the best thing ever for them to hear, but they can't hear it in that particular format. So for you guys to be having actual conversation um, and it does change. I know when, you know, uh, listeners are, I don't know when when hundreds or thousands of people are listening in, I understand that changes the way we talk to some extent, but you know, because there are things we edit out or whatever we go, well, we don't want there to be misunderstanding about that. But for the most part, trying to be real and authentic uh, and genuine and sincere uh, while you're having fun, I mean, you're, you're, you're not just 
modeling the right thing, you're experiencing the right thing that actually makes life worthwhile and, and gives you a chance to, and you do to, to not just feel better, but to feel like you're, you're known and you're moving forward. So I think it's great what you guys are doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, man. Wow. I appreciate that a lot, but yeah, that's what we're all about is just, you know, having conversations, just getting people involved, realizing their potential, realizing their future as young people that we are the next generation. And that's really where we go from there. But, and especially, you know, I know as a pastor and as someone who grew up in churches and has just been, you know, Christianity has been a part of their life, or the big part of their life. And, you know, that's something for us. We were actually, our studio, we actually renovated a studio in the attic of the gym at our church. And uh, Daniel's father is the pastor here. And so he's well, you know, with the kind of the PK aesthetic, if you will, he, he's familiar with that. And even me. And uh, something I actually relate to you a lot is, you know, this is that we, we go to a Baptist church now, but uh, my grandfather was actually a Pentecostal pastor for like 50 oh, wow. years. And anytime that you say something or, or Johnny says something about uh, your background in the church, whether it's a joke about, um, you know, spiritualism or even like some almost sad conversations about, you know, legalism, that's something that's affected, you know, yeah. my relationship with Christ. Yeah. But uh, just struggling with some things like that. But definitely, we're, we're well aware of that. So, you know, when you do talk about that, how did kind of your upbringing and kind of where you are now, how did that kind of, you know, play out in a way? Well, I mean, it's still it's still playing out. Um, you know, it's funny. You look at somebody in their 40s, it, I think, when, when you're in your teens and it feels like, wow, you know, they're, they're in adulthood. And... Um, I think that there's this feeling and there was a quote somewhere about, I think almost all of us kind of feel like everybody around us are everyone around us is an adult, but we're still a kid somehow. There's like almost a universal feeling of that. Even when you're doing adult things um, that, you know, they have some, some feeling of, of uh, not just maturity. I think there's maturity that comes, but uh, sort of like I've arrived at the place where these things make sense. And I don't know if you ever really get there, but in terms of my, how my background affects, I mean, I still am dealing and I, you know, I have a, a therapist friend that I speak with very regularly. Um, I've been through 12 step recovery. Um, I study, you know, the Enneagram and those kinds of things, just tools to help me continually answer that question not just about my background, you know, of faith, but all of it, all the way that I'm made, the way I see the world, the way I interact. Um, and I think it's funny. I, I wish I would have been doing those things earlier. Um, and, and you can get caught, you know, looking at they, you know, some, some, somebody might call that introspective navel gazing. Like you're just staring at your own belly button all the time. You know, I mean, you do have to get out and do life. You can't just look at your life, you know, but not looking at your life is also not honorable or more mature. Like to, to see how you're made or how you're interacting is, is, is actually wise. And the whole book of Proverbs is kind of written about that. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a, for me, I was, I was a third generation assembly of God pastor. My dad and grandfather were both AG preachers and always bivocational, um, meaning they had other jobs and, yeah. you know, that was weird. I, that affected me because I never thought I would get, uh, I, I would have a, a career of just being in ministry. And then I was a teacher and I thought I'd do that forever. I was a teacher and a, and a pastor on the side. That's what we always did in my family. And so it's still odd to me 21 years later that um, I get, I like get paid. Now I don't get paid a lot as a pastor or anything, but, but you know, I have a job. Uh, doing this yeah. and that's something that most people in my family never got to say was their only job um, the part of the Pentecostal upbringing you know I do not put that label on myself now I try to avoid a lot of labels to be honest with you yeah. uh, don't call myself a Pentecostal in that respect doesn't mean everything that ever happened was bad or wrong um, I just you know I don't I, I feel like that there are parts of that that led me um, unintentionally uh, and, and a lot of that was in me, not in things people did to me or said to me. But, you know, I was I am more prone to try to work my way into God's good graces. It's just it's just what I want to do. You know, I yeah. want to perform. I want to uh, be good enough. You know, I was the, the, the quote unquote good kid and, and had my list of, of 
things, you know, if I've in the things I struggled with, I felt that God was always displeased with me uh, and that I was separated from him because of them. And so kind of moving past sort of that, uh, you know, what I feel, you know, Pentecostalism can focus, unhealthy Pentecostalism can focus on, you know, a feeling, hey, guys, I feel God in this place. You know, there's just a lot of expressions like that. And, and there is a feeling and then there is a presence of God and those kinds of things. But it becomes sort of the uh, hyper focus of some of those models that we evaluate the effectiveness of our gathering based upon what we felt and how people reacted to it out on the outside. And so we kind of moved. I, I began moving to, you know, uh, a place of, well, I might not feel the same thing every time. And, and that doesn't mean that God wasn't here. Like, you know, uh, I might not, I might not uh, always get everything right. It doesn't mean that God is not with me. So kind of getting into a place of faith that's based upon the grace of God and the truth of what he has said to say, well, regardless of my performance today or regardless of my feelings today, I'm going to once again try to return to a place of confidence, uh, not arrogance, but a place of confidence to say this is who I am in Christ. And and I'm, I don't stop being his son when I don't feel something and I don't stop being his son when I make a mistake or sin. Um, and, and even if I'm being disciplined, like this good shepherd is constantly coming closer to me, even when I'm lost, he comes more close, not further away. He's not coming to hurt me. And that, you know, I'm telling you guys, I'm still dealing every day. It's still a default to wake up and not feel that somehow I'm not enough before God. Um, and the truth is all of those things have already been covered by him. And it's, I was not enough, but now in Christ, you know, um, though I'm going to make more mistakes today, my status before the father uh, is as a beloved child. And um, so re making, you know, re reminding myself through God's word and other, other things to come back to the place of believing the truth about my status as a beloved child is, is a, is a constant daily effort. And it's also where I think I keep growing and it's not easy. You kind of think it would just sort of take at one point in time. And, and it's not like I forget it in my head, but I just, my confidence level still changes and I can get up, not think about that and launch straight into work and straight into a hundred emails and book things. And like, I could just get busy and I'll do that sometimes for a few days. It's like, I go on a, on a, um, a faithless bender almost like I'm, I'm just out here. Just, I'm just, I'm just going to work my way, work my way and not worry about really looking inside or dwelling or, or abiding back in the truth of Christ. And man, it, it, it sets me into bad places. Uh, and then I have to stop and rest and, and just recalibrate again uh, and back to the things that are right and true. And, and it's, it's a, it's a cycle. I think I'll probably deal with the rest of my life and God's grace always brings me back. And again, I'm not away from God during my, my bender, <laughs> I'm just not leaning onto what is really most true. I'm, I'm leaning into myself again, into the, the, the work that I have to get done and trying to find my, um, I guess, not just confidence, but my worth in that work. Hey, I'm, I'm going to be an author. I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to have a number of books I've written. I'm going to be able, you know, to have this many followers. I'm going to be able to say this funny thing. Like you, you begin to focus on the things you're doing instead of like, Hey, you know, guys, this is who I am. This is who I'm in Christ. And he's gifted me and all these things and some will succeed and some will fail. And it's okay because this is who I am. And I can enjoy those things today and hopefully be aligned in his kingdom when I'm doing them. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that spoke a lot to me just now because everything you described is stuff that I've kind of dealt with in my life. Yeah. In my, so on at least some scale or another, but when you talk about, wow, that's powerful, man. Uh -huh. Wow. But yeah, that's it's it's a it's a grace that pursues us every day. It really is, mm -hmm. and yeah, just waking up and just knowing that you know you have a heavenly Father that you know accepts you because you know you put your faith in Him because that's all we got. But yeah, that's wonderful. I think Daniel had something you wanted to ask. Yeah, um, you know, as you were saying that, uh, you know, your dad was a pastor, um, and you was a pastor, and you said you had a thirteen-year-old daughter. You know, kind of for me, I kind of struggle with um, kind of the difference between my dad being my dad and my dad being my pastor. And it's kind of a it's kind of a thing that I kind of have to deal with and kind of pray about. You know, what do you have you dealt with that, I guess? And uh, how was it kind of growing up as a pastor's kid? 
Yeah. You know, again, my dad, uh, he wasn't the lead pastor. My grandfather was, which that's, you know, it's a whole other story, but, um, dad, you know, dad led a lot of our, we would do like boy scout type things, uh, before we had like a official youth pastor. And that was great as a kid, a lot of camping trips and canoeing trips. And, you know, and then my dad, we owned a commercial lawn care business as well. And all of our family worked. And so from like age nine, I was out there with dad, you know, with a, a blower. And then age 11, I took a weed eater and weed eated for the rest of my life. I mean, that's, that's uh, you know, 12 hour days outside. But man, I'm telling you, yeah. my dad teaching me how to work was such a, a huge part of of my life. Uh, and and being, you know, sweaty, I, I, there, there's a, uh, a memory of there was this complex over in Nashville and, it, you know, it had, I guess 17 apartment buildings and this huge ditch around the outside. It would take us three, four hours to do with the whole crew. And the last of it, you, you called it the outside. You had to take two weed eaters and walk around the entire outside, all these bushes and shrubs and ditches. And you, you did it together. And at the end of, of the day, that was sometimes the last place before the sun went down that we'd be at. And my dad and I would finish that huge ditch. And God, I mean, I'd, I'd started at 6 a.m. that morning, you know, and it was now 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night and dark, and you're just covered in sweat. You're hurt, you know, real bad. You're, you've are got grease all over you from repairing, you know, the lawnmowers. And uh, sometimes you'd be bleeding because, I mean, this commercial stuff, you hit rocks and stuff, and it throws up, and we'd break windows and glass and stuff all the time. And, but I'd walk back to the truck with my dad, and my dad uh, would – put his arm around me while we were walking, just, I mean, nasty, covered in grass and mess. And he would say, son, I just want you to know that you're, you worked so hard today. You're worth, you're worth three grown men to me out here. Like you do the work of three grown men. And like my heart would just swell. Like, you know, this, this, uh, it wasn't cause I just worked, but he was so, it was like, we shared, I, I did what my dad did, you know, um, and that was, a, that was a good, because dad was not perfect and, and, and had his issues and everything, but man, I think as a pastor, it was sort of similar. Dad wasn't always the guy on the stage preaching, but, uh, he, he served, he, he served a lot and, and I was, I would get up with him and he didn't require it. I just loved it. I'd get up early on Sundays when I was little, always go with him and we'd change the light bulbs and fix communion or do whatever we we're going to do that day at the church. It was a little church, you know, but. I, I enjoyed that, you know, the serving side. So he did a pretty good job of keeping the pastor thing separate, I guess is where I'm getting at. Like it was, he felt like my dad and not my pastor. He just felt, it just felt like we all worked together at church and he was, you know, I knew he did it. He didn't take a paycheck from church. That's was, that was part of it. He just, he, the church was, well, he had a lot of people who, who were struggling to make ends meet. And dad had a, he was a principal of a major uh, high school in Nashville as well. And we weren't rich by any respect, but we worked, he worked three jobs, the church and the commercial lawn care and the school. And he just felt yeah. like that the people at the church needed money worse than him. And so he, uh, and he often employed a lot of those people at the church that would come and work for us at the lawn care business because it would give him something to, to do and to make money. And so, you know, I just, that, that whole experience, I think I'm, I was very blessed in that, you know, I mean, I had, I got church issues for sure, but, um, you know, dad, and I have dad issues. I think we all do. That's just part of life. But my dad did a pretty good job of, of keeping it separate for me. Um, and I knew I could ask him anything. And I would ask a lot of hard questions. I, I just can't imagine now as a dad, the kind of things I'd bring to my dad when he was exhausted after, you know, working three jobs that day of just, you know, my theological questions or my, my insecurities over if I'm distant from God and things. And he was always very patient and, um, and we listen and, and, you know, so, and we, in my adult life did not agree on a lot of things, uh, at the faith. And, you know, there was tension there. He came to my church, you know, uh, for a season before he passed away. I mean, for like the last six, seven years, he was at my church where I was pastoring. And, yeah. um, wow. those are weird times. Sometimes we get into arguments, even he'd have suggestions and I was, I was too, uh, you know, too involved to take the suggestions and, 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 you know, it got tense. And then my dad and I both, you know, he's actually one of the first ones that introduced me to another way of seeing the gospel through a grace-based mindset that I had really never known. 
and I wouldn't listen. I wouldn't listen. I wouldn't listen. He asked me to listen to stuff. And I was like, ah, yeah, whatever. Cause you know, you just can't hear from your dad sometimes. It's so it's crazy. Uh, even in my adult life. And, um, cause I didn't trust that, you know, the things we grew up with were so different than that. And then one day I remember he looked at me and said, you know, it's just crazy that I spent all these years and my own son can't hear me now what I I'm experiencing something in, in Christ that I've never experienced. And I want to share it with you and you can't hear it because of the package it's in or the speaker who's speaking it. And you just think you, you, you're, it just hurts me. I was like, dad, fine. I'll listen to it. (laughs) And that began a long journey of a lot of life change. And, And towards the last few years of his life, my dad and I shared some very sweet times where we were both sort of discovering grace together. (laughs) And, um, and it was that tension. There was other tensions there politically or other things, but the tension over the gospel was very much resolved. And, um, you know, we got to enjoy some time together. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's, um, not the probably prototypical story of a pastor's kid with his dad and all those things, but I think everyone's is different. And if you got a dad who loves you well, and that happens to be the job or the, or the role, I just encourage you, you know, give them a break. They're still human and all those things. And, and, and you be yourself, you know, we're, we create an environment here at our church. We're really trying where no one has to hide. Um, especially in ministry, you know, we're not asking our, I mean, I'm, I'm interviewing youth pastors right now for an open position, and I'm like, look, if, if if you're coming here, I told him yesterday, if you're coming here and you think you have to sort of look the part and if you're making mistakes or struggling, it, you know, no one needs to know about that because it'll hurt the kids. Like you couldn't be more wrong. Like I don't want the kids yeah. to know all about your entire personal life, but someone in your life, I expect you to not be hiding. Someone in your life should know all the things and be walking with you that you trust. Uh, so, yeah, that's um, I don't know if I answered your question, but that's sort of my story in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, kind of what, how do you feel? Um, I guess kind of with your daughter growing up, do you think that'll affect her at all? As a, uh, I guess her dad being a pastor. Oh, you're killing me, Daniel. You're killing me. Um, Oh, that's a tough one, man. You guys, I'm going to go lay down on the couch here while I, while I talk <laughs> this one out. Um, yeah. I worry about it daily. I mean, I mean, worry is my thing. So I have to, you know, I have to not worrying is not responsibility. I have to remind myself that worrying is not responsibility. Mm-hmm. Even though it feels that way. So I try to be the same to Sadie, uh, to, you know, that, Hey, listen, I'm your dad. I mean, you know, she, she's, I don't think she has a prototypical PK kind of, kind of thing going on. She seems to like being at church. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, this is the weird part as a pastor. I don't think there's an age where I would when she was little or whatever, but in, in teen years, I'm not going to force, uh, issues. You know, I, I mean, I think that that's, that's that weird kind of place. Like, of course you force your kid to go to church. It's the right thing to do. And they, you know, it's like, yeah, but I, I, I did this long enough to know, <laughs> um, there's a lot of other factors. I'm not trying to raise a well-behaved child. That, that, that's, that's the big thing. I'm not trying to raise a well-behaved child. I'm trying to raise an, a well-adjusted Christian mature adult. And the path towards that then, I mean, I'm not going to focus on just behaviors or, or just habits today. I mean, they're important and we do that here. But, um, you know, I need her to understand who she is in Christ. And only Jesus can reveal that. And, 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 and hopefully watching me live that out in real community, that's the big thing I'm doing. I'm trying to do very much for my kid is that she knows that Mr. Matt, uh, who is her best friend's dad, who we're all in community group together, that Mr. Matt knows everything is going on. Mr. Matt corrects dad if he needs it and listens and supports and encourages and that there's nothing I don't, there's nothing I hide from him. And we have hard talks and, you know, we do life together. That's what I'm showing her. Like, Hey, you know, being a pastor shouldn't be that different from just being a Christian. It really, really shouldn't. Wow. Um, that's and that's great. That that's a big, big thing. And my pastor here, my lead pastor is the guy, you know, we've been friends also for t- over 20 years. Same thing. We both had that transformation. He lives it out with his kids who are all grown men now. But it's made a huge difference. And so I don't know yet. I'm in the middle of it. Like, I don't know where this is going to light for my daughter. Uh, I'm not in control. That's one thing that's really, really hard. And I thought I would be because I was the cool adult that all Mm -hmm. the teenagers wanted to hang out with for for 15 years. 
Yeah. And then, and then as a dad, you're just not now we hang out a lot, you know, but, yeah. and it's so funny. I'm leading the youth a little bit right now during the transition. It's just a couple kids. And, you know, like last week, my daughter was there and I, I don't know, I did something goofy and I went to high five her like I would do if I was a youth pastor and she just looked at me and the whole group just burst out laughing. Wow. I was like, I was like any other kid here would have just like absolutely high five. And then she did high five, but it was so funny. Like, I don't know if she'd seen me in that role before and we're super goofy yeah. at home, but she yeah. hadn't seen me kind of like just in a circle with kids. Cause she was too little <laughs> when I did that. Yeah. So it's a weird, it's a weird, weird time, but yeah, hopefully just, Hey, being, being a believer in community, whether you're a pastor or not, it should all be the same kind of thing. That's sort of the, the short answer to the long story. That's beautiful. And, you know, I know we had said about 40 minutes, but there is, one more thing I'd like to tackle before getting to your book. Would it be okay sure. if we have a little bit more of your time than what I've originally said? Yeah. Yeah, go for Thank it. You. Anyways, Thank you. um, I'm gonna ask you just um or a statement, I guess. Um what you said about uh being a pastor is, you know, should be like I guess kind of being a Christian in the church just as well. I really feel like a pastor's role is um not just to be a pastor, but I feel like, you know, a pastor should also focus on their own personal Christian life just as much as they do on other Christians in the church. And I feel like a lot of pastors struggle with that, just kind of my opinion, that they also need to make sure that they're spiritually well because I feel like they can easily get off track and, you know, question their own faith um, by worried about other people. And I just kind of feel like that's that's an important role as a pastor, and it's a hard role because you really have to focus on your own self as a Christian, really. Yeah, I mean it's the constant, it's the constant tension, and and I you know I'm glad you have that sort of uh, compassionate perspective for your own parents. Um, you know that's important to know. It, it's a hard balance. I think part of the deal is you know people want you to be the expert. They really, really do, um, and that feeds for me. That feeds for me something that I like. You know, I I, I like the idea uh, of being the answer guy for someone uh, being the example that they look to and admire and, and model themselves after. That's a, that's a good feeling. Um, but in order, and, and this is what, again, I'm, I'm still in this in the last probably five years, I began to realize it's, it's more, I, it's more important that I model the real brokenness of humanity than it is that I got it all together. So they will feel more confident. And a lot of them don't like that. They don't like mm-hmm. they don't like to hear their pastor talking about brokenness and, and struggles. Um, but like to, like you said, I can't be healthy if I don't deal with that. And uh, if I don't deal, I mean, notice the, just the words I've said to you guys, I never would have known six to seven years ago. You know, wow. um, think things that I had to go through to know that my my worry is not responsibility. <laughs> like that's a major revelation in my entire life that no one as a pastor, no one's going to call me on worry. Like it's not the, it's not a sin that they're going to call me on. It's acceptable, you know, but it, it absolutely it demonstrates a lack of trust in God. It, it is not healthy for me or my family. It leaves me in places where I'm running around, you know, ragged all the time. And, you know, that's the thing. I have to talk about that. I have to bring that what we call, I think the scripture says it and we get kind of Jesus juked on it, but I have to bring that into the light and, and, and I do that. And that doesn't mean everything happening in my life is known to everybody in my church, but everything happening to my life is known to somebody in my church. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. a big difference. And so there's a wisdom there. But but to the people, you know, everyone can know about my worry because all of them have it. Yeah. <laughs> and to act like to act like I don't, it just actually it, it makes them feel actually worse sometimes. They'll, they'll stick around trying to attain what they think I have that I don't really, really have. And that's sort of the model for a lot of churches and pastors get caught in that. You don't mean to, but you're kind of trained to think, oh, well, you know, you, you know, uh, fake it till you make it and look a little better than you are. And, um, you know, don't worry about worry. That's not a big deal. Everyone has that. And don't worry about pride. Just, you know, keep it in check. And, you know, as long as it's not, you know, you're not, you're not having an affair or you're not, you know, addicted yeah. to alcohol. Like, you know, you kind of, you kind of begin to, to parse out which parts you're allowed to be broken in. And yeah. so to just say, hey, everybody, uh, I struggle with pride and worry. And I want to tell you how what God did in me this week and where, you know, I want to tell you how I took this into the.
people around me and, and they'll tell you how encouraged I was and how I found grace and forgiveness. And the next week I do the same thing. I mean, it's, it's the same gospel. Um, and, you know, I, I heard again, not to preach at you guys, but, um, I heard a guy point out one time yeah. that the apostle Paul, if you read his letters in chronological order, that, uh, if you, if you look at what he calls himself in chronological, now the books of the Bible are not in chronological order usually yeah. right now. But if you if you go historically in the in the order that he he actually wrote them, he begins by calling himself the least of the apostles. So he's super humble, right? I'm Paul. I'm the least of the apostles, and so he he, he kind of progresses. And by the last letter that he wrote, that we think was in the chronological order, at the end of his life, he called himself the chief of sinners. Wow. Like there, we think it would go the other way, but the longer he did leadership in the gospel. The more he became aware of his brokenness, not the less, the more he was expressing it to the people around him. And I think that's sort of the way it should go. If I see someone really growing in Christ, they're, they're, they're less broken because they're more whole in Christ, but they're also more expressive of the things they need from Jesus to keep them whole. And yeah. so you have to have this line of not glorifying the brokenness, but being able to say, hey, this is where... This is where this is a struggle. And if I can't acknowledge a struggle, then I can't I can't help people who need help with struggles. <laughs> and yeah. and I can't and if I can't do it in a in an authentic way where it's actual and I'm just like, hey, I'm the expert to help all the rest of you broken people, then it's it's a, only a matter of time before it catches up with me and them. And that's just that's I'm the guy's I'm the guy who can tell you that story because those things happen to me. So yeah. Yeah. I love that mindset you have that I don't want to say, you know, worried, but, um, you know, kind of making sure that you're pleasing God and that you never want to do anything that, um, that he doesn't want. And, you know, kind of being worried that God is shameful of what you're doing. And that's kind of a thing that I'm going to start focusing on is that making sure that I'm not doing what God wants, because I feel like we can get as easily distracted and feel like, we're doing what God wants when it's really just the opposite and we're doing what Satan is putting in our brain. And that is like such an amazing thing. So powerful. That is amazing. But yeah, that's, I tell you what, man, you really, I mean, I know this is a podcast, but as far as conversation, this has really been beneficial to me as well, mm-hmm. but oh, cool. just from a spiritual standpoint. And one thing I love about you and, you know, your podcast with Johnny is that your ability to tackle all kinds of, you know, subjects. And one thing that I, resonate a lot with you on is you know your love for history so yeah. you're a history teacher and a history major correct yes okay well that's something i've thought a lot about you know kind of going down to in history i mean since i was five years old i've been in love with history i've been you know just all that and you know when you talk about you know your new book that you wrote you had to do a lot of you know research on that i'm sure and you know the past you know 50 years or even you know going back I remember a time when you were doing a lot of information about uh, and discussion about the Civil War on the podcast. But what is your favorite, like, history, historical time period? What's your, what's something that you really enjoy doing research on? Ah, oh, that's a tough one. And it used to be, you know, World War Two. I think that's probably moved around a bit. Um, that's my favorite, yeah. You know, Civil War, I think the older I get, sort of the further back I go, um, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard on the podcast, you know, we we're big fans of, of the musical Hamilton. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not endorsing everything that's in that play that they say <laughs> or whatever, but, um, yeah. but you know, okay. it, it's, and it's not historically completely accurate, but actually it's just crazy. I actually just finished, you know, there's about a thousand page book by uh, Ron Chernow that that play is based on. That's the real, you know, historical account. And, that's sort of like my it's, uh, what a what a real nerdy thing to say. Like that's kind of my guilty pleasure book because I probably read ten other books in between reading it. It's just kind of one I return to and read a page or two as I fall asleep. You know, over the course of uh, probably over a year now or more, uh, and I actually finished it last week. And I'm in another one halfway through on Grant, and it's even bigger. Um, but um, that time period of of you know the early Republic really is interesting to me right now. Um, mm-hmm sort of the, the the reason being that there's tensions that we see in the civil war that I think modern Americans assume did not exist in early either colonial period or the early Republic. 
yes. uh, right post-American Revolution. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Someone said to me the other day, well, you know, hey, everybody, you know, slavery is just how it was. Everyone was just okay with it back then. And that's not at all true. Like, that's a modern perspective yeah. that has that actually trickled down to us probably through the lost cause narrative that came after the Civil War. But if you go back, you know, Alexander Hamilton in particular uh, was just one example of a guy who had a very abolitionist mindset, a very anti-slavery mindset. Uh, and you begin to see the divisions between North and South already happening right then. And they, they called them Federalists and Republicans. Uh, but it was Thomas Jefferson to the South and, and Hamilton and Washington. Well, Washington was a Southerner, but he was a Federalist, oddly enough. So he was kind of the, the centrist in all of it. But James Madison and, and you, know, you know John Adams and a Northern guy and a Federalist. And there's these same divisions that the whole two-party system in America is actually uh, originated from the same socioeconomic and cultural tensions that eventually led to the Civil War. Like, that's why we have a two-party system. It's actually North yeah. versus South. It's actually industrialism versus agriculture. It's actually the need for a free labor force in the South uh, based upon slavery, why they would fight against it eventually became even morally right to them. A lot of Southerners in the beginning, if you read their writings, did not think slavery was really morally right. They thought it would end on its own. They didn't like it. He, Thomas Jefferson talked about him himself not liking slavery, hating it, yet he owned slaves. It's like he felt caught, yeah. and there's no excuse for it, but he felt caught in a system where the only way his, you know, um, you know, the only way that it can, it can work is is for it to continue and so i just think that's fascinating to me to see that and even my gosh if you guys if you look into the misinformation campaigns and back then it wasn't internet and instagram it was newspapers they would buy and start for the sole purpose of writing under pseudonyms to take down their political opponent and and the, the level of conspiracy i mean they they really believed a lot of people in america really believe because of conspiracy writing and misinformation that uh alexander hamilton was in a secret plan behind the scenes with England to restore America back under the British monarchy. And it gets even worse that he was also uh, in a plot to intermarry into the royal family and so that his descendants would be the new rulers of the United States under England. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's, and I mean, people believed it. They really believed it to be true because it was written about so much to discredit him. And so yeah. I take a lot of hope when I see today misinformation is just, you know, uh, everywhere today. Uh, and, and people, you know, can't they don't they don't understand sound sources. They don't I'm not, I don't mean this as if I don't miss it myself as well. But there's a tendency to just retweet something or see something and not think about the source, not think about if, if there's something credible uh, or even scholarly behind it. Uh, and it's yeah. led us, you know, it makes me feel actually good to see that well they had that back then too you know and everyone thinks that the world's coming to an end and and you know uh perhaps i don't know when the world's gonna come to an end i'm not in charge of all that but i know this they thought the world's coming to an end back then too uh yeah so that makes me feel like okay you know what this will be in god's timing god's sovereignty and we're not the first people who've dealt with misinformation or division and and these sort of fault lines and the tensions of it continue through today um just like that they did back then. So, you know, we, we need to understand history. So maybe we could you know face them a little more uh, with a more educated uh, or, you know, perhaps a more compassionate viewpoint and not just lose our minds as if the entire world and all of time and history hinges upon us today, which is a very narcissistic way of seeing things. So. Yeah. I mean, that's right. Talk about, you know, misinformation in the colonial times. I think about the election of 1800 with Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. Where there was a lot of conflict going on back then as well. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm sure you had to do a lot of uh, work for this. And I mean, this new project, this is, I'd say this is, since I've been following your work, this is probably one of your biggest projects yet, I'd say, that you're doing with Veggie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, um, I'd agree. Yeah, so I, my dad, um, he's going currently to Liberty in Lynchburg, Virginia to get his PhD. And uh, I think it was two years ago or maybe three, he went to, um, he got to go to Israel and uh, kind of look at some of these, you know, old historic sites, um, you know, where Jesus walked. And um, he, uh, he got to go to this place that um, it wasn't on there. You know, the tour guide was like, I'm going to take you something special. And it went up this, um, this place and it looked like 
and if you didn't, if you were just there, you would think it was rocks, but it was, if you look down, it looked like little rocks, but it was pottery from um, way back when, when Goliath had came up and, you know, made fun of the Philistines and, um, you know, just like crushed pottery, I guess is yeah. kind of what he did. And um, I just found that awesome it. and stuff. And it was just, he got to go to all these places and he took a bunch of pictures of like, you know, uh, places sites and all this stuff just kind of he got to go i think it was the mount of olives and yep. uh garden of gethsemane i think um uh-huh. he got to go to a bunch of places in israel and i just thought that was awesome um we were talking about the other night and i just thought it was crazy yeah anytime you get to see uh again whether it's ancient you know or more modern history i mean uh, one of my favorite stories is my daughter and i were i was in dc for a writing trip doing research on a book I was writing at the time and took my family and man, we just, we were, we were going through the national cathedral, just kind of exploring. And she, yeah, she found Woodrow Wilson's tomb. Uh, wow. it's right there. Like, it's not wow. even, you know, it's, it's, she's like, look at this. I was like, why? Oh my gosh. Like that's Woodrow Wilson, you know? And, um, you just, yeah. When, when you see it, you're just like, wow, this is different. Same thing. And, and when we were in New York, she did the same thing. Uh, we were walking by Trinity Church, and she looked up. We were arguing, trying to find the right subway, my wife and I. And said, he's like, guys! And she started screaming, and we looked up, and Alexander Hamilton's grave is literally like 10 feet from us through this fence. <laughs> we're like, what? You know, so, uh, yeah, I mean, when you see it, it just, ma- it just makes th- it makes things different whenever you can be near the, the space and, and even the artifacts and the relics, if possible, of the things that you read about. It really does. I, 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 have, I have a bucket list so long i would love to go see all that but yeah just society has definitely has definitely and this is going to sound pretty like an extreme understatement but society has is, has constantly been interesting it's been constantly changing and just as to be human beings in it but also know that that, that you know god is selfless over it but right. just to be human beings living in this world it's just you know we're living in a hundred years history like like things that are going on right now, especially in the past few years, those are things that a hundred years from now are going to be in history books. So it's important yeah. that we're mindful of how we um, handle situations. And Absolutely. even even back then, you know what you're talking about with what you just wrote about it was just uh, racism and um, just society. You know, coming off of the couple of years we've had, especially two years ago now, almost not just. With COVID, you look at, you know, how the church has handled COVID and just both physically and spiritually, just the impact that COVID has had on the church. But you also look at the events of, uh, you know, last year, you know, which, you know, good, bad parts all around. But I think it'll, I think 2020 opened up a lot of people's eyes to many, many different issues. And I know I was one of them. I think you were too. I think that's kind of what started this book, John. But... Yeah, if you could just, how did that kind of go about from not just a historical standpoint or just a societal standpoint, but just, if you could just talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been on a journey of, you know, there's a lot of things as a white pastor um, and a white history teacher. I just kind of had an assumption that, hey, you know, I'm good on this. I don't like racism. I'm I'm anti-racist, all those things. But the truth is, I wasn't really affecting the issue at all positively. Um Martin Luther King said, and of course we just celebrated uh, Martin Luther King Day this week, and and he said uh, that the greatest, the greatest sort of hurdle, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, to the civil rights movement was not the member of the, you know, KKK. Uh, it was the the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice. And so it means someone who says, "Yeah, I'm with you," and and but but this is getting a little crazy. I don't want to be present in your disorder. And so because they stay comfortable, they, they reinforce the status quo. And that's who I was. I was reinforcing the status quo. After George Floyd's death, I reached out to my friend, Reggie Dabbs, who we've been friends for 20 years and, and had written two books together and never actually talked about race. And I just humbly began asking questions if he, and he was willing to answer them. And it took us on a journey, um, of things that, you know, I'd already been changing on to some extent, but when I began to hear his experiences and, you know, it just, it, it, I think it's so key to understand when you, when you have real people attached, uh, to the issues. And, um, 
we begin to explore, of course, obviously as a history guy, I mean, there's a lot of things I begin reading that I knew about, but I, I went deeper on. Um, and uh, the book that we wrote was not so black and white. And it uh, had a wonderful publisher in Zondervan, great partner. And the book is still out mm-hmm. there. I mean, uh, it, right. right now, I need a lot of, I need, I need, uh, you know, more people to, to take a look at this journey because the, the people who have read it come to me and say, wow, this is, this is something that has challenged me in a, in a good way. Uh, it's, it's my story through recovery. It's Reggie's story through, you know, being a black man in America. It's, um, a lot of history. It's a lot of real conversations between us that open up every chapter. And it's also a lot of current events, uh, that are, that are filtered also through gospel understanding. So I've seen a lot of books that do sort of one or two of those four. And I don't know if I've seen a book that does all four. Uh, and so, you know, I've only realized that as of late that we, we did a lot of things in that book. Um, it's been a crazy ride. We, we went on good morning America, uh, to talk about that book. Um, you know, hung out in New York and, uh, done a lot of other podcasts and different things. It's been, it's been great, but the real passion is that this reaches, you know, more and more people. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a journey of failure, uh, in many ways. So it's, it's a great, if someone's like, yeah, I don't get into all this social justice stuff. I don't know who to, I'm hearing, even Christian sources say that this is all, you know, CRT and, and this is all dangerous and, and this is all liberal and this is all, you know, uh, communists and socialists. And, you know, it's like we kind of throw all these scare tactic terms on it. Yeah, let's put the label and shut down the conversation. And so if you're anybody out there listening who's in that place, this is a book where you can take a few steps without feeling like you're drowning. Uh, why don't you take a few steps and, and, and it'll, it'll challenge you to evaluate the process by which you actually think. And, and, uh, regardless of what you think it is that you think, you know, it'll look at the, um, sort of look at the windshield or sorry, look through the windshield and not just look at it and, you know, take a moment and, and do both. Uh, so yeah, that, that's sort of what the, the, the book is about and, you know, it's available everywhere books are sold, but it's, it's been a life-changing journey and I'm still on it. I got so far to go. Um, <laughs> I've developed a lot of new relationships through it and a lot of people that I'm reading and uh, walking forward in. But um, so it's not, it's not us to the rescue on this one. It's not, you know, a couple guys figured it out. I mean, it's not that at all. It's a couple guys started having hard conversations and took a dive into history and theology because of it. And this is what a lot, what, what we could be doing that's maybe more fruitful than just yelling out into the ether and just becoming as outraged as our opponents. So, wow, that is absolutely beautiful, man. And mm-hmm. I've enjoyed, you know, I know I only get a glimpse on the podcast, but when you talk about this journey, yeah. it's just been, it's been Amazing. beautiful. But yeah, not so black and white, Reggie Dabbs, John Drival, and you can get that anywhere you said, right? Amazon, yeah. everywhere. You can watch, you can read some free chapters if you want at notsoblackandwhitebook.com uh, or you can go to Amazon as well. And anybody out there who has read it, man, I'd love for you to go to Amazon, leave us a review. That really, really helps other people find it. Uh, you can even leave a rating. It takes two, two seconds to leave a five-star rating there or an honest rating, which I hope would be five stars. <laughs> but yeah. uh, go yeah. go and check it out. And um, you can reach out to us with, with anything where we you know can come and speak at churches, colleges, other places, and have, you know, model these conversations for others. Uh, that's something that we, we do as well. So uh, we're just trying to be people who are speaking the right thing into it as another resource. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's wonderful. By the way, while we're at it, go ahead and check out wasfaircafe.com, um, 113 North Shelby Street in Blacksburg, South Carolina. I mean, came to love going there. Get you a smoothie, coffee, a donut, muffin, whatever. Um also, we have Sweet Peach. Sweet Peach Boutique on Floyd Baker Boulevard. They have uh, all the clothes that you would want right now. They have their gift shop that's open as well. Uh, you can check them out at sweetpeachboutiquesc.com. And, of course, we're thankful to Anchor FM, our platform. If you've ever thought about starting a podcast, I would recommend going to anchorfm.com. They let you totally monetize it, edit, and record right from your iPad or phone, however you prefer it. But, John, as we start to wrap it up, this has just been such a blessing mm-hmm. in my life for the yeah. podcast. Honestly, I mean, you, I mean, I know, you know, we've just been kind of been texting and emailing in the past couple of weeks, but honestly, you, you have honestly meant a lot to me and your work has, and God's really doing something with you. And I just really appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Thank you guys. Along with Camden, man. Yeah. It's amazing what you're doing. Um, I hope to talk to you some more. Um, you're just such an amazing person. And, uh, I wish you luck and God's going to bless you, man. Yeah. 
thank you guys so much. I appreciate what you're doing as well. And thanks for your honesty and, uh, for doing this, man. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to, yeah. uh, be going and doing what you're doing. And, um, I'm, I'm just and very encouraged to see, uh, young men and young women, um, stepping out there. So way to go. And, and, uh, just super honored to be a part. Thank you. Do you have any advice for us as you're going out just in life? We usually like to ask our guests, if you have any advice? <laughs> I think I've given a lot of advice today, probably. It's been yeah. some wonderful, yeah. and I'm using all of it. I'm taking it to the bank. <laughs> Thanks, man. Oh, hey, you know, listen, just remember that uh, following Jesus doesn't mean that you have to uh, be fake, that actually he calls you to, to bring who you really are. And so find spaces in faith where you can deal with your actual self. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's a good space. It doesn't mean that God won't change that actual self into the, the things that you need him to change, uh, that he won't make those adjustments and bring you to a place of freedom. But you, you, you can't be free if you can't acknowledge what it is that you're struggling with. And so find those places where you're safe and do that. Thank you, man. Thank you so much for your time. And, uh, if there was any way, you know, we're going to promote this on our, you know, we're going to promote this episode on our vault, social media platforms as well. But if you would like to you know, you can do the same as well. I can get you all the information for that, but we're still getting up there, but yeah, thank you so much. And, um, yeah, you're just doing wonderful work. Uh, this was a big deal for us and our podcast to get, you know, the guest of y'all of where you're at right now. And, uh, actually thinking about maybe, uh, reaching out to Johnny as well. So, yeah. but thank you so much. We appreciate you, Dan, if you'd like to. Uh, yeah, guys, thank you so much for listening to us. Um, thank you. Again, John, for coming on. Um, again, uh, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Yes, we will. Thank you, John. I right, thank you, guys.